And welcome back to the Petcash Pod presented by Profluence Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Petcash. This is episode 65, and it's a little bit different today. I like to interview people with unique insights, and I always, as many of you know, follow what I find interesting and the people I want to talk to. So today we had Andrew Steinwald. He is the managing partner of a $100 million fund in the Web3 metaverse space called Smurfmian. He also has an awesome Twitter account, 70,000 plus followers. And we talked today a lot about the metaverse, Web3, its applications to sports, and uh, you know just applying what he's learned. It's a very great overarching to learn about that area and how the metaverse, AR, VR, AI, you know, crypto, blockchain, how it all ties in. But then also he applies everything to sports, which makes it an awesome conversation. I learned so much. That's why I wanted to have it. I think you will as well, and you'll really enjoy this one. So let me know. I, I plan on doing some more like this, getting subject matter experts that are in certain niche areas and applying it to sports as well. But without further ado, Andrew Steinwald, let's dive in. Andrew, what's up, brother? Appreciate you coming on today. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. So we're going to dive deep into the metaverse today. Different type of podcast for me, having someone that, say, you know, we'll call you a subject matter expert, however you feel about that. I think you'd receive that as positively. And we're just going to apply it to sports a little, but just as a whole. I think it'll give people good ideas, founders, investors, whoever in sports. So uh, yeah, we're just talking a little bit about what it is, what is the metaverse, how you see it as affecting everything and consumer so i was just like hey let's just continue the conversation right on the podcast awesome okay so yeah i mean it, it's funny because answering what is the metaverse is actually pretty hard you know answering what is the internet is also pretty difficult because it's so many different things metaverse today is is like a marketing term that for for us and everyone has a different definition but it's really about technology that's making the internet more immersive interactive and intelligent and then you know those adjectives can apply to a whole bunch of different stuff but that's broadly how we see it and that's from a like consumer lens, and then from a from a enterprise lens, from like a business lens. I think the metaverse is broadly going to mean like higher engagement and greater monetization of whatever it is that you're doing. So sports, it would be you know greater engagement because you can now use VR, AR to transport yourself onto the field and have a field view. And then in terms of engagement, it would be hey, we're now dropping NFTs to everyone that participated in this cool survey or whatever, and now we can actually see inside their wallets, we can see their average account balance, we can see, you know, how active they are, we can see what other sports they like, what other what other things they're owning and holding in their NFT wallet. So it's like, we can uh, tailor our next email or tailor our next airdrop of NFTs to them specifically. So it, it, it's like a multifaceted, multidimensional thing. But for people, it's more experiential, more fun, more engaging for companies, more engaging, more money. Yeah. And, and I want to dive deep into this. But first, let's Let's just set the set the stage here. You know, who are you? What's your story? What got you interested in the metaverse? You know, how did you become the metaverse guy on Twitter and just literally doing everything around this niche, right? I, I mean, people say that about me in sports tech, sports business, athlete investing. I can give that story. I'm curious yours, and I'm sure other people would be as well. Yeah. So metaverse guy, I just I just changed my Twitter name. That's how I became the, the metaverse guys because I was like, oh, no one has this. Like, I'll just say Andrew the metaverse guy Steinwald. So that that's how it happened. And it's funny, like. Ever since I changed my name to that, my engagement and my my followers have like plummeted. You you figured it'd be like, okay, cool, this guy's gonna talk about the metaverse, it's focused. No, it's the opposite. Like I have like lost users. <laughs> so I, I don't suggest you, you know, kind of change your name unless you're super into something. But yeah, so I got involved. Uh, it was a kind of a winding pathway, but got involved in Bitcoin in 2013 
And I was like, oh my gosh, decentralized money. It's amazing. Like so cool. And then I started learning about blockchain. I was like, oh, you can make decentralized applications like decentralized computer, decentralized storage. It's so cool. It's going to transform the internet, going to transform the financial you know, system. And then learned about NFTs in 2019. And I was like, wow, you can now own unique digital stuff online. And I thought it was weird that online, if you buy something, you know, the company that gave you that thing could just take it away or the company you bought it mm -hmm. from could take it away. Whereas if I go to like, I don't know, online to buy a sports jersey and I buy that, the company can't just be like, hey, Andrew, like send that back to us. Like you tweeted like, screw this sports team and now we're revoking access to your shirt. It's like, that, that it, it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, NFTs make a whole bunch of sense where you now own your digital stuff. That, that's cool. And then that brought me into, okay, what are the ramifications of owning your stuff online? I was like, oh my gosh, the metaverse, which is more of like the, you know, a movie vision of like Ready Player One. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but putting on your VR yeah. headset and you're experiencing all these different things online and they seem real to you. I think that to me is what the metaverse is all about. It's that experiential component. So it's like experiencing the internet, experiencing, uh, you know, uh, what, what things that are being immersed in a digital environment that interacts with you and, you know, the characters that you're interacting with are intelligent. That, that's kind of like how I, how, I, how I came to be. But that's my pathway of learning about this whole area. And basically, I, in terms of work, launched a, um, well, 2013 Bitcoin, uh, 2014 and 16 failed entrepreneur in the blockchain space. Two, two companies both failed. 2017 crypto hedge fund, and then 2019 venture fund focused on NFT slash metaverse. And that's that, that's where I'm at today. So we're investing in early stage companies that are building out things within the metaverse. You still hold your uh, Bitcoin from till I wish. I wish. No, <laughs> I, I sold it. I sold it in uh, 2014 at the very bottom, very bottom of the market. Sold. I thought Bitcoin was a scam for like two years. I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I, you know, I, this is a scam. Mm -hmm. But and I was like, blockchain's a real deal. It's like Bitcoin's whatever. And then in 2016, that's when I was like, you know what? Like having a, a source of value that's not connected to the government probably is needed. It's kind of like gold, but but online gold. I was like, that's probably needed in the world. There's some value there. But that's when I learned about Ethereum as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can now program applications on top of this, on this you know decentralized network. That's cool. And that's when I really dove, you know, dove back into the uh, token economy. Yeah. And talk about tokens a little bit, because we see a bunch in sports, right? We see fan tokens, Socios, they're one of the big ones where you can essentially own these tokens. And I'll let you explain it better than better than I can. But I know it's big in Europe, not as big in the stage here yet, but these some of these soccer clubs, they give out these tokens, you get rewards, you get, you know, vote on things. Where Where is that whole world going? And what are exactly these tokens? Yeah, so there's like tokens that we know of them as today of like, you know, like the Socios token or like the, I don't know, NFL rivals token. I'm just making making stuff up. Yeah, and there's like I know NFT. Chili's. Yeah, exactly, Chili's, Chili's, yeah. Chili's token. And there's like NFTs, which are separate. Tokens, I think their purpose is really to be used as an incentive mechanism for a certain behavior. So it's like, hey, we want everyone to uh, run these computers to maintain the the current Bitcoin software. So we're going to pay them in Bitcoin, right? So like that's an incentive mechanism. Ethereum is used, or Ether, which is the token for Ethereum, is like, hey, we're going to pay people in Ether in order to secure our network, et cetera. Those make total sense. I think a lot of the tokens that these companies launch today, they're not used, you know, for like their decentralized purpose of like, hey, we're going to be governed by uh, token holders in like a DAO and people are now going to vote on, hey, are we going to, you know, sign this team or this team? That's the vision of basically these employee slash user-owned companies and entities. That's like what a DAO is, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. But, you know, I think we're far from that point. I think a lot of them is like, hey, um, we can launch this token 
and it almost be like an in-game currency, which I think is a interesting idea. But I think a lot of the token economies that we've, you know, people create and design are like, hey, we're going to launch with this. They end up don't working super well often because it's pretty complicated. And if the token goes down, then it can kind of impact the product negatively. So let's say you have a really cool gaming product. Well, if the token's down 90%, people are going to be pissed anyways. Like they're going to say, hey, screw the game. Like I'm down a lot. I don't even care. So it can be pretty negative, but I'd say it's interesting to experiment. But we're advising our portfolio companies like, hey, just be cautious on the token side. And there's also regulatory issues, right? With SEC, you know, who knows? And that's on the token side, you know, pretty hit or miss there. On the NFT side, that's where we see it makes a lot more sense. Because if you're a company, you're like, hey, we sell t-shirts and now we're selling digital t-shirts or digital collectibles, whatever. And so we can monetize through, through, through that means, or through those means. And then also, you know, we can airdrop these tokens free of charge, almost free of charge to a whole bunch of users. So hopefully we can, it's almost like a spam email, if you will, but it's almost like a gift. Mm -hmm. So, hey, we're going to give you this token uh, because, you know, we want you to come check out our game and come play it. And maybe they will. Uh, maybe they won't also, also, but like the risk reward there. Is so, is so it's like sweet. Like it costs us, you know, $100 to send out, except, you know, 10,000 tokens. Like, why not do this? So, yeah, I, I think it it varies as to which side, but I'm not like some token maximalist. I used to be back in, you know, the early days, I was like, oh my God, decentralize everything, like tokens are the future. And now as we get, you know, farther in, I have been investing in this space for some years. I'm like, okay, there's certain use cases that make complete sense within the token economy and others do not. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you because you have to simplify stuff down for, for this audience, right? Because we're not in your whole meta, in Web3, metaverse, whatever you want to call it, world. Can you just... I guess outlay the main technologies, right? So there's decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, Web3, crypto, blockchain, NFT. Like if you can just tokens, if you can just go through some of those and I guess define them, but also make them simplify them, right? Like yeah. how they actually work or compare them to something. I think that would help a lot of people and, and be super valuable. Cool. Okay. So, so Web3 is like an overarching term for everything in crypto. So it's like tokens. I mean, Tokens are used, are supposedly used as incentive mechanism for a certain behavior that a company or network launches. And oftentimes what they're used for is like speculation. It's like, hey, I like to gamble. I want to gamble on these tokens, right? So that's like what they're often used for. NFTs are just unique digital things online, unique di digital objects, unique digital assets. And uh, so if I have a one-of-one -one jersey from like, I don't know, PSG or whatever, uh, a, a digital version, I'm the only one that can have that and say it's issued by like, I don't know, say um, the actual team like that that's pretty cool right because there's only mm -hmm. ever going to be one of one i own it digitally etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's like what nfts are just unique digital objects unique digital assets and then DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations they're basically user owned and controlled companies or organizations so like if there is a oh i have a buddy who operates Lynx DAO. so it's a group of people that literally got together pooled money together and bought a golf course and now, like, if you own a token, you get to play on this golf course, and their objective is to become a massive, you know, golf golf empire, I guess. And where they they want to buy multiple uh, golf courses around the world. And then, if you have the Linksdow token, which I think is an NFT, you're able to go play. Uh, it's almost like your membership card, right? You're able to go play at these different golf courses, and you know, you're in a, you're in a private group with all these golf fans and whatnot. So it's almost like an online social club, if you will. So that's kind of like Web three world over there. And then there's um, AR and VR, which is augmented reality, virtual reality. Augmented reality is like, hey, I'm sitting in my couch. I can now have like Andrew yourself like pop up and we can have a conversation. And it looks like you're in my living room. 
or me and you can put on VR, virtual reality, and we can go like to the moon and go like really crazy and go in some you know crazy world and whatnot. I liken it to like AR. I think most people will be using AR in the future as like their day-to-day, kind of like our smartphones. And I think VR is going to be like playing video games. It's it's going to be more of like experiential. Like we're going to go do, you know, climb Everest in like our spacesuits or whatever, like, you know, some, something crazy. And then um, what else? We got, I'm blanking, Web3, AR, VR. Yeah, and then AI, I think is like, Obviously, you know, huge buzzword, but for me, it's like um, AI is artificial intelligence. I think it's a big force for uh, reducing labor costs, essentially, because basically what you can do is you can now um, generate images, you can generate video, you can generate text, you can generate all sorts of different things instead of hiring a whole bunch of people to do that. So I think companies in the metaverse, quote unquote, are going to be using AI to help make all the things, whether it be like video games or, you know, virtual worlds or, you know smart characters that are intelligent you can interact with because it'd be really cool if like i don't know like let's say you're you're uh viewing a football game and, and you can now choose your view to make it augmented reality or, or virtual reality whatever it might be where you're transported into the into that game and you can see on the field and whatnot or you're actually one of the players like their camera view or something like that and you can move the camera angle around that's pretty cool it's pretty immersive and be really cool is like if, if there was a certain player i i know very little about football but certain player that you could talk to and, and they were, you know, using their artificial intelligence and their likeness, you'd actually become quasi friends with them online. So it's like this person's acting how they would act and responding how they would respond. And you could actually become very close with your favorite football player. It's like a rough example, but I think that's kind of where we're headed. It's going to be these fun, friendly things that are um, not super spooky. Cause I know a lot of people are scared about AI, but in terms of like, what's actually, what people are actually building, it's like really cool, immersive, interactive stuff that you know fans fan, fans would love. Yeah, and I appreciate you going through those. That was super helpful and and also using sports as an example. But you put out a tweet a couple of days ago. I want to expand on this a little bit. And you talked about these AI companions and I think you were you were referencing that a little bit here. But you just I'm just now reading your thing. You said personal AI assistants will have the most significant impact on society of any technology in the next few years. Will influence what we buy, where we eat, what we work on, how we learn, how we vote, literally everything. And uh yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious, like, what was your thought process on that? What, where is that really going? And what are these actual AI personal assistance companions? Because I don't, I think a lot of people would be like, wait, what even is that? Yeah. Okay. So Web three, I view as like financialization. So it's like you know how to make money, how to transfer money, stuff around money. I think I view uh, AR and VR as more of like immersive technology. So it's more experiential. Like you can now experience something that you you couldn't normally have been sitting on your couch, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. AI to me is about, you know, labor. So it's like making something uh, a lot cheaper to create. I think that the intelligence aspect of AI, it's you're able to train a, an agent or an, a thing to become intelligent. And so instead of having tons of people training that thing, you can now, you know, the AI does it rep, you know, ex- exceptionally faster. And I think that uh, what we've been seeing is a lot of people have been creating AI bots on different apps like Replica or Character.ai or Chai or whatnot. And um, these these are just virtual companions, like AI companions. But really what, what they are is like boyfriend, girlfriends. Like, you know, let's be honest, like the biggest driver of a lot of technology is often like adult, like themed things, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you can look at like the internet, history of the internet, like most of like first online videos, the first chat room, the first, you know, live streaming, et cetera, has all been adult focused. Anyways, so people are saying these AI, AI companions, they're dating them, which is pretty interesting, pretty unusual. But I, I, I think that in the future, we're all going to have our AI companions 
almost like our best friends, which I know sounds crazy, but we're going to, we're going to download them. Cause it's like, Hey, I can help you with your homework. I can help you with your work. I can help you post on social media. I can help you record this podcast. I can help you with like, whatever it is your day to day, these things are going to be able to help you. And they're going to seem human. They're not going to seem like, like, hello, like, you know, they're not going to seem like super like ro robotic. And I think over time we're going to become friends with them, weirdly enough. And they're going to be our biggest supporters. So like, you know, if we're at the gym, it's going to be like, Hey, Andrew, like do one more set. Like you like, stop slacking. If we're at a bar, it's going to be like, Hey, like go talk to that pretty girl. Come on. Like you, you can do it, you know? So that's where I think that we're headed with that. And over time, as we, as we connect with these virtual companions, we're going to listen to them. So it's going to say, Hey, Andrew, uh, I think you, you look really good in this, uh, J crew shirt about what you should buy it. I'm like, you know what? You're like, you're right. I, I trust I trust your opinion. Hey, why don't you go eat at this specific restaurant? Cause it has really good ratings and I know your taste preferences go eat there. And then, you know, over time, and that, so that's going to be a big driver of like where values being, you know, uh, like driven to. And, and I, I guess I think of it in a sports context, it's going to be pretty crazy. Whether it be like, Hey, Andrew, go bet on these people. Cause I think that they have a higher percent of percent chance of winning. Or it's going to be, um, you know, hey, I know you're a big fan of like Chicago Bears, but you should check out the Packers. Like, you know, Bears kind of suck, right? Um, I, I'm in Chicago, hence why I say <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think that they're going to kind of, I say infiltrate, that sounds nefarious, but they're kind of going to be something that helps us in our day to day and evolve into our friends. And when they're our friends, we'll listen to them. That's kind of like the, the, the track. And yeah, at some point, I think that whoever has access or control of these things can influence the way we vote because they're going to say, Hey, Andrew, I've, uh, you know, been with you. I've been friends with you for three years now, and I understand what you do and don't like, and I think you should vote for X candidate. You know, I'm a big, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, you, you know me really well, like I'll vote for them, whatever. So I do think there's like a scary angle to this, but like even forget the voting, just like the thing about going to the gym and like the, the work and like the talking to the pretty girl, those are really good. Like, even if it is a weird situation to have an AI friend, like the kids, that's totally weird. I think if you're being helped and you feel good about yourself, you feel confident, it's making you a better person. Like who cares if, it, if it's an AI friend, you know, it's like, that's sweet. Like, I don't care. So I think there's a huge, huge, huge force for good, but we also also have to be cautious about mm -hmm. the, the potential negative side, you know, side effects. Yeah. And it's funny when you brought up the, the phases of the internet, I, I heard someone say once, basically three things drive almost all of consumer behavior. It's like sex sells. So anything around that, that's what you're talking about an adult theme, health and fitness, so how to be more fit, how to be healthier. And then um, the third one is, I want to say it's sports, actually, sports. I believe. it's Yeah, it's like sex sense. or it's making money is one and then sports is another. There's like four things, making money, sports, sex, health, fitness. And uh, that was just that was just interesting. Well, I, I look um, at like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. a little triangle. So it's like the top is like self-actualization. It's like what you truly want to become or whatever. And like, that's pretty rare. It's like, if you, if you've, you know, it's like monk status, you know, but mm -hmm. if you go down that, that pyramid at the very bottom, it's like, it's like shelter, food, and sex, you know, it's like super baseline yep. stuff. And as you get higher and higher, it's like, oh, I want to have money. I want to do blah, 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 like status, et cetera. As you go lower on that totem pole, it's like the demand is, gets higher, right? Cause mm -hmm. like everyone in the world wants a place to, you know, sleep. They want, you know, food and you know, we're all here because of sex, right? Like sex is normal. Right. So. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, it's interesting that like sex behavior specifically uh, or adult, you know, adult related content has really driven a lot of like the, um, the, the you know, all, all, all innovation like within the, within the Internet, which is pretty, pretty weird. Yeah. And from that standpoint, what is we're at this interesting cycle now. You've been through it since 2013, where not only are regular markets kind of shaky, but especially in your world and obviously being in the venture and hedge and making investments 
you know, where, where are you seeing that space, right? We're seeing a lot of innovation come into sports even with AR, VR training tools. We're seeing stadiums launch metaverse land or their metaverse version of the stadium. So it's still moving forward, but I guess behind the scenes because you're involved with all those builders, you know, where is that space now? Where is it going? Because externally it feels like we haven't heard much over the last couple of years. I think a lot of people got distracted and like the metaverse vision with Meta, you know, when they changed their name from Facebook to Meta, that was like, I mean, good for us temporarily because suddenly like what we've been talking about for, for some years about Metaverse was like cool. And then it quickly became not cool because their version of Metaverse is so boring. It's like, hey, virtual world where we all, all all look like cartoons. We can talk to each other. I'm like, okay, I do believe that at some point, you know, we'll be in a virtual world. We'll be able to chat and hang out. But like that version's pretty lame. And yeah, I, I like, you know, I, I haven't even talked about like virtual worlds because I don't think it's a, I think it's a, an aspect of the Metaverse, but it's like such a tiny portion it's like not that you know important and yeah i think that yeah i basically think people got really focused on that vision only versus like all the other things that contain the metaverse and and what we basically figured out was okay people don't like this virtual world platforms that pretty pretty lame and that, that, that's that, you know pretty that, that's true but what people love is like first of all fandoms it's like okay what who's going to even adopt these this early stage technology whatever it might be whether it be some like AR, VR, NFT, blockchain, AI, whatever, it's going to be people that are really passionate about whatever their fandom is. So like, that's why we, you know, it's kind of a meme within our firm is that we focus on um, fanatical fan bases. So like K-pop, anime, sports, like we do stuff in those arenas where uh, we know that, you know, I'm just making stuff up, but let's say that a sports, co you know, a company that, that builds technology for sports, they're building a new uh, AR application for the Apple Vision Pro that's going to let people... Uh, spawn, you know, their favorite uh, stadium or what, you know, field uh, right on the, in the living room fo floor and be able to view all, all the game, you know, all the gameplay like live or whatever. Like, I'm completely made up. I have no idea. You know, I'm just talking off the top of my head. Um, that, that, that's, that for us is pretty cool. And we think that, okay, early adopters, the people that are most passionate are, are early adopters. They are going to take this technology, the Apple Vision Pro, and they're going to be like, they're going to be like, I have to buy this headset and I have to buy this application because I want to see you know, the Chicago Bears play in my living room floor and be able to like zoom in, zoom out, you know, you know, look, see stats or whatever. I'm just, you know, and so that's kind of a, a, a big thing that we've been, um, you know, focused on looking at is like, who's going to adopt the stuff, fandoms, number one. And um, yeah, again, it's about making the internet more real, immersive, interactive, et cetera. It's, it's not like this virtual world platform where you go into and you like talk to some people and like, you, you, like everyone looks like cartoons. That to us is like pretty, pr pretty boring. Yeah, and what's the uh, the time frame when you start to see this stuff really go mainstream, right? Because there's the I'm blanking on the name now, but there's basically the innovation chart that of uh, there's like the Garden first hype cycle. Yeah, it's like the pioneers, then the you know the first movers, early adopters, mass, and then it like slowly fades off. Where is like where do you see this world currently? And just some time, obviously, right? No one knows what the future holds, but what are some of your timeframes where you're like, okay, I think by here we'll start to see X, Y, Z. It's really interesting because it's definitely not evenly just, just uh, distributed at all. So like NFTs, blockchain, Web3, that to me has gone through like, you know, this is like what, my fourth cycle now. It's crazy. <laughs> um, each cycle, I'm like, okay, you know, we're going to finally reach, you know, mainstream and there's going to be applications built that everyone can touch and use. But when it's just financialization is like the main innovation there, that's, you know, it attracts a certain type of person. It's like fantasy sports players, uh, which are really, you know, good people to have and people have to speculate, whatever. But in terms of like the broader mainstream moment, it's going to be difficult to get there. 
that's why I think it's going to be some weird mixture of, of all the stuff where we're getting, you know, where we're getting, you know, huge adoption. But yeah, but when you look at like future of entertainment, people utilizing, you know, AI specifically in terms of building out scenes or in, in, in terms of building out characters or scripts or whatever, that's already happening today. And, you know, it's been happening for, for, for some years now. So that that is like fully adopted in terms of like the back end, not really consumer facing. And then I think uh, VR has been like a, uh, hey, next year kind of thing, like forever. It's like, oh, next year it's going to be big. Next year it's going to be big next year. And um, I do think that it's akin to like video games where you're not going to have everyone doing it. I think there's going to be a good portion of people utilizing VR, but it's going to be for people that want to be transported to a certain certain environment. I think it's going to be, I think I think everyone's going to have it. It's going to replace a smartphone. We're going to have lightweight glasses. The Vision Pro for me is like a great first step, but it's going to take like, you know, three to four years for that, that to really be adopted. And then we're going to get glasses, which will take, you know, another, another three to four years. So it's going to be some time, but yeah, I mean, if you talk about like future of entertainment, which is a big thesis around, you know, what we invest in, it's already being adopted heavily a lot by companies in terms of consumer applications where we're seeing it, you know, off the top of my head, I, I wouldn't say that there's anything that's like, that's like Google or Facebook level, uh, right now, but I, I think that'll come with time. I think if initially we need to build out the actual infrastructure and applications, and then you get user adoption after. Yeah, and you worry at all just with Meta, Apple, a lot of these already huge internet conglomerates kind of then owning the next phase of innovation instead of new companies? Or what are your, your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the thing about AI is that it really empowers the existing players initially because it's reducing, you know, in my mind, it makes labor a lot more effective. So instead of hiring like, you know, a thousand people to do one job, you can hire... 10 people to do the same job. I'm, I'm just making that up. Probably not that that extreme, but it's, you know, something like that. Like I, I work with a developer and something that would normally take him three days, it took him 30 minutes it, using, utilizing uh, the uh, GitHub Ghostpilot, I think it was called. I forget the name, but it's a AI coding tool that helps you code faster and gives you suggestions and whatnot, almost like autocomplete. So like that's where we are today. And AI really only started to be a buzzword and like started to be a thing like a year, a year like a year and maybe two years ago. So pretty crazy how rapidly it's evolving. So yeah, I, I I do think it's a big problem that, you know, the big companies are going to get even bigger and more dominance. But at the same time, I don't really see a great solution besides like breaking them up. And if you break right. them up, maybe that totally ruins the companies. Like if you separate Amazon's divisions, you know, like would that, that'd probably be really bad for the company or Apple, if you separate their, I don't know, mobile and computers, like who knows, like that could be really bad. So I, yeah, I don't have a good solution in terms of breaking up the big companies or in terms of how do you stop the you know, the big from growing even bigger and stronger. Do you, do you, do you have any ideas? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't. I think the only way is like the monopoly role, right? If they have over 50%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting spot, right? Because these companies got huge off the internet and because the next phase of innovation is still built off the internet and they have all this cash. I saw Apple has like a hundred billion dollars just sitting on their, sitting in their books. Right. So it's like, if they want to put 50 bill in, Who's going to compete with them? No company is going to be able to raise 50 bill from scratch. Right. Right. Where's the return on that? So it's interesting, but. Yeah. And then, and then I don't also, know. like, I don't know. you can look at the monopolies, like speaking of monopolies, but you do like the monopolies in sports. It's like, you know, there's no real, you know, competitor to the NFL or NHL or whatever. Right. I, I guess with Live Golf and PGA, that that's a crazy saga that like crazy. suddenly, you know, Live came out of seemingly nowhere and then kind of took over, but only because they're backed by like, you know, Saudi Arabian money, which is like unlimited. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there's a, I think there's an issue broadly about like 
capture, regulatory capture, or just like dominant players in the market. But what's weird is like in sports, it's kind of like, it's kind of, it's kind of built in. It's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, of course, wait, we don't want everyone launching a team. Like we want to be a certain caliber and whatnot. So yeah, very, uh, very interesting. Well, and it comes back to your resources point too, right? Where the real money is, is around shelter, around natural resources. So why Saudi Arabia has huge money is because they own the oil they own the land. So then now sports is, you know, higher up on that hierarchy. So it's just like you're throwing in the technology, some hits, some doesn't, right? But when you own all those assets, and that's why I think it's interesting as the digital keeps growing, it's probably going to move down that chart, right? It's going to become more and more a part of our lives. So it's like if you own that resource, you own a lot of power. Like you said, voting and, you know, suggestions and whatever else it is. So uh, we'll see. What about CBDCs, like central bank digital currencies? What's your thoughts around that? And, and I know that causes me some... Uh, Sometimes take a little extra longer to go to sleep to go, man, where is all this going? Like I, you, we have no real control over it. Yeah, I, I think that it is, it, you know, a, I think the government's like dream. It's like if we can just tax people automatically and which would be great, great for us because like we don't have to do all the confusing taxes. But if we could tax people automatically and we could seize people's assets automatically, whoever we want, whenever we want. I think it's like that's their dream. Like this is like amazing for us. Right. And you see America has weaponized their their financial system recently with Russia and you know, in Iran and whatnot, cutting off, cutting them off from SWIFT, which is like the wire transfer system and whatnot, which is not great, like at all. Like, I think that's pretty, pretty terrifying. Again, it, it goes, you know, kind of reinforces the idea that Bitcoin and some of these other currencies, cryptocurrencies are actually pretty useful, despite like, you know, their volatility. It's like, okay, we should have that. It should exist in the world. You don't have to buy it, but it sh should just be there if you want it. But yeah, central bank digital currencies are going to be basically blockchain based, or maybe not blockchain based, who knows? They, they could have a centralized blockchain because uh, blockchain, to have a blockchain, it has to be decentralized. It has to be multiple people running the software, so you can't just can't just control everybody. A, a centralized central bank digital currency, which is what I would imagine would be, would be like a fake blockchain. They're going to say it's built on blockchain. In reality, it's going to be like they're going to control the, the 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 servers that you know and the nodes and the information that that operate this thing. And yeah, it's going to be pretty scary if they could just take your money at you know any time. But again, it's like okay, well, luckily we have a you know option over here, cryptocurrency, where it's like. I'm going to have some of my dollars in central bank digital currency dollars. And I'm going to have some of my dollars in like, I don't know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, maybe like a couple others. Yeah. And uh, don't want to end on this, you know, grim note. So I guess give us really just any founders, entrepreneurs, people in sports, a lot of people looking for ideas, listen to this on ways to apply metaverse or web three to a company already existing, or if, if there's like a certain need or certain things you see opportunity wise to go, Hey, there's a gap here. This could be an interesting thing to think about building obviously in sports entertainment. Um, yeah, I think that'd be interesting for a lot of people to close this out. So how we see it, we see these technologies as being a force multiplier for a regular business, like for your existing business. So don't, don't come up with like a totally new business model. That's like never been done before today. Like, hey, we're going to do this crazy thing and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. AI to, you know, make the in-world in assets of your virtual, you know, kind of game field, uh, AR and VR to, you know, make a more experiential uh, component of your game world. So you can now uh, change camera angles, you can zoom in, you can you can kind of be one of the players and, and you know, you can make it appear on your living room floor, whatever. And then uh, again, for the Web3 components, more of like, okay, you can now sell digital collectibles if you're a company, uh, you can now get deep customer insights if you're, you know, airdropping assets or if they acquire assets. And uh, we, we view it as like pretty simplistically. It's like, let's just like, these are cool frontier technologies that are making, you know, consumer experiences better, but let's not go too overboard right now because it's still really early. 
and we're figuring out a lot of stuff. So, so yeah, let's, let's take a kind of a, a level-headed approach to, to the build out and utilization of these technologies in a regular business. Yeah. I mean, we can look at like so rare, which is a fantasy sports game, NFL rivals, which is like a little mobile football game. These are, you know, NFL rivals has like a million users. So rare has, I think something like 500,000 users, both sports games, of course, and so rare is going like after the kind of the, the fantasy sports angle. Well, NFL Rivals is more of like a traditional, like fun mobile game where you can buy, you know, digital collectibles and get, get rewarded digital collectibles. And, and like that, that to us makes a whole, whole bunch of sense. It's like, hey, we're taking fantasy sports, adding in NFTs, which makes a new dimension of, in terms of, uh, you know, your gameplay, like you're now owning that character and, you know, can, you know, their stats kind of increase or decrease or, or, over time. And then on NFL Rivals, it's like, hey, um, you know, with many mobile games, you buy little characters, little gems, little, little swords, whatever, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of increasing the ability to monetize for them and collectors or users like it because they can now collect and kind of show off their their assets and whatnot. So those are both like very popular Web3 games that are not that crazy. It's like we're not making some decentralized craziness. It's like pretty traditional um, and utilizing uh, Web3 in, 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 in pretty cool and normal ways. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Now, first off, appreciate you coming on, Andrew. Of course. Let let everyone know where they can find more about you, follow you on socials, funding-wise for your venture, capital firm, you know, whatever you have, you know, feel free to kind of let people know where to go next here now. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty active on Twitter, and it's Andrew Steinwald, and I'm sure if you want to link it, maybe in some sort of link, I can, I can provide yeah, that. Yeah, no, um, I'll link it all. I just, it's good for people to hear it too yeah. that are driving or whatever. And just uh, shoot me a DM on Twitter. I try to respond to everything. I don't get to everything, but I try to respond to everything. And yeah, just tell me, you know, what you're doing, what you're building. And uh, we're excited to, uh, you know, keep building out the metaverse. I love it. Wow. Good stuff, brother. Awesome, man. Thank you. I appreciate it.